We have such, uh, we have so little time to even focus on the Parsha this week. We spoke about Yom Kippur before Yom Kippur, the, it's already Friday. Um, and there's, uh, today's a special day. Let's talk about today, we'll get a little Kabbalistic today. Um, today is a day which is known as Gotz Namen. It's called B'Shem Hashem, Gotz Namen. And it's uh, spoken about, even traced back to the Baal Shem Tev. I'm not sure the actual source of the name of the day, but the Baal Shem Tev discusses it. Um, where the day after Yom Kippur has a special title called Gotz Namen. Now, what does Gotz Namen mean? It means God's name. We know that Hashem has many names. There's many names that we associate Hashem with. We have on the mezuzah, it says Shindal Yud. We have uh, the Yud Kevavke name that we don't really pronounce. We have Aleikim. We have the Aleph Dal Nun Yud. We have many names that we, uh, um, call, that we call Hashem with. But the day of today is not called by any of those names. It's called Gotz Namen. God's name. Um, what is the meaning of it? And why do we give it such an interesting name? So, before we get into that, before we answer that, I want to present another question, a very interesting one, um, which will tie both in together. This is a fascinating concept. A concept, a very, uh, um, a concept which is expounded on a lot in, in Hasidic um, teaching. It's very interesting and almost ironic and weird that on Yom Kippur, which, is, which follows 40 days of tshuva, right? We start doing tshuva officially, we do tshuva the whole year, but we start with the whole new um, era of tshuva. And we go through the Aseris and made tshuva. And we, everyone has done so much, um, so much to, to work on themselves and be ready for Yom Kippur. Comes Yom Kippur, you would expect that on Yom Kippur, after 40 days of working on a, a person's tshuva, what would we be talking about on Yom Kippur? There would be no need to even mention and focus on any of the sins. He already took care of that. Comes Yom Kippur, we want to start fresh. <coughs> what happens on Yom Kippur? About how many times? You do once in the silent Shemana Esrei, then again by Chazar Sashatz. So each davening, besides for Ne'ilah, that's, uh, that's uh, it's Mayrev, Shachris, it's eight times. Eight times you say al Khait. Ten times? Oh yeah, we do before. Before Yom Kippur, and again before Kol Nidre. Yeah, ten times. Ten times. Ten times you do al Right? And it, it's almost odd that Yom Kippur, which is after 40, it's not like we spend one day of the year doing Jubba. If it was one day, okay, understood. So why are we spending the whole Yom Kippur talking about all the sins we did? Um, and we... <laughs> Good questions. What's today? That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what today is. Um, and it's, um, so that in itself is interesting, which the question becomes even bigger, actually, if you think about every day. Every day we say a bracha in Shemana Esrei, which talks about Hashem forgiving us. Slach in Shemana Esrei. Now, you would think that davening should be about much holier and more abstract things and connecting to God. You would think that before you start davening, you should say Slach before davening starts, we should say, Hashem, forgive us for all our sins so we can speak to you fresh, clean, and pure. And then, start davening. Come Shemana Esrei, the time where you're standing in front of God, all you should be speaking about is the, your holy connection with God. When do we speak about Hashem forgiving us, asking forgiveness for our sins? In the middle of Shemana Esrei, when we're standing in front of the king. The highest time of davening. That also is very is interesting. We see there's, like a, there's a theme here. There's a, there's a pattern 
we're, we're specifically choosing to ask about forgiveness in, these, in the holiest times. We're specifically choosing to mention our sins and speak about our sins in the holiest times of the year. And it's, it seems very odd. And to, to add to the question, there's a famous story with the Fidik Rebbe. The Fidik Rebbe was the sixth Chabad Rebbe. Um, and he, he related a story that he once entered his father's room, the fifth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Hashab, he once entered his father's room the day after Yom Kippur, today. And he entered in his father's room and he said, like Asher said, that uh, we, we just did Shiva for 40 days. Yom Kippur was the climax. So what's the, what do we do now? What's the job now? What, what would you answer if someone asked you that? We just spent, we worked ourselves out to keep it up. To keep it going, okay. Keep the momentum. So the Rebbe Rashab answered, he said in Yiddish, it's there, Tarfman Ersh Chuvatan. Now is when we have to begin doing Chuvah. What in the world does that mean? Now we're available to Jew. On Yom Kippur, we said 10 times Achit. And now we're going again and doing Chuvah. Someone made it, made it done very. Actually, I was telling him that there's a famous, I think it's a medrash or somewhere, where it says that the judgment only starts the first day of Sukkot. Because between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, there's no time to sin. <laughs> You're supposed to be busy with the Sukkot, with the Lulav and Nesuk, there's no time to sin. We know a guy. So there, we see a pattern here where Chuva is something that comes. Yeah. Some people, in some places it says Hanukkah. Hanukkah. We see a pattern here that we specifically wait to mention our sins. And sins are something which are spoken about in the holiest times. Um, in Shemana Esrei every day, on Yom Kippur, the day after Yom Kippur, the Rebbe Rishab said, we now have to begin doing Tshuva. There's a theme here and it seems interesting. And to, to answer the question, um, the answer is very simple. If you, once you hear the answer, you see how simple it is. Sometimes we don't even acknowledge and realize and identify certain things that we do as misconduct and as misbehavior, as doing things wrong. What causes a person to realize that they're doing something wrong? To realize that they need a change? We spoke about this last week, sobriety. Usually, you need, to, you need to have some taste of something outside of your experience. Some, some experience that you, beyond your regular life. You need to have a taste of something greater and holier than where you are. And when you're in that holier space, uh, um, you can then go and look at what you do and start realizing that, wait, there's so much that I'm missing. There's so, I could be so much better. I can be in so much of a better place. But you only realize that sometimes when you have a taste of that better place. Right? We spoke about sobriety. For a person to realize that, uh, that they're stuck um, with addictions, they, sometimes they need to get a taste of not being addicted. And, what? <laughs> so there's, it's a very interesting concept. And it's spoken about a lot in, in different places in Chassidus, um, where it's, a, it's so important sometimes to get a taste of, even if you're not holding there, even if you're not on a level of actually being in a higher 
in a holier place, sometimes you're, we're, very, um, sub, we're very, very subjective about ourselves. And in order to be objective, to look from the outside and see what we're doing in the aerial view and to start realizing that certain things that we're doing could be done better and that we need to change certain things, sometimes you need to zoom out, look from another standpoint, look from another person's uh, point of view, look from God's point of view, or look from a holier place. What? Yeah. And then you could begin looking at things that you're doing and realizing, wow, I really need to start working on myself. I need to change. And if you understand that, uh, sometimes things, we, we, know, we all know certain things that we do wrong. But sometimes there are things that we don't even consider to be wrong, that we only realize that we could do them better once we're in that higher and better place. And that already answers all our questions. That's why it's in Shemayna Esrei where we ask for forgiveness. Because you're not shaykh, you're not able to begin thinking that you even need forgiveness for certain things till you reach Shemayna Esrei. Before davening, before you go through the journey of working, getting higher and higher, then there, you don't even realize that certain things that you're doing, you need to change. Come Shemana Esri, where you're supposed to be in the highest place of davening, all of a sudden, you become somewhat uh, disgusted in certain uh, actions that you do. You say, you're in such a holy place, where you look at yourself and you say, like, how could I have done such a thing? How could I be involved in such things? How could I be uh, letting myself run after these things? And the same thing with Yom Kippur. It's specifically in Kippur where you can begin realizing that there's certain things that you're doing which you don't want to do when you're supposed to be like angels, completely disconnected from the world, completely in a, in a holier space. It's specifically then that you can begin looking and saying, wow, wow, there's so much I need to work on. And the same thing is with the day after Yom Kippur. What's about the day after Yom Kippur? Now that we're in this, we, we see the pattern here. Let's talk about the day after Yom Kippur what we call a God's Namen, Hashem's name, and we don't give it a specific name. The Baal Shem Tov explains, because each name of God that we give, Shindal Adiyod, Yudke Vavke, Elikim, all those names of God are associated with a certain part of God. A certain way that Hashem um, associates Himself with us, with the world, and with the way He, um, he, he behaves towards, towards us, so to speak. For example, um, these two names... The, the, where he explains it, he connects it with the name Yudke Vavke and Alekim, which we actually say in the Ilah. Hashem Hu Alekim, right? What are we really saying there? So let's discuss it for a minute. We've got a little Kabbalistic. Um, in the, it's basics in Chassidic teaching, so some of you may have heard it before, but it's a little a bit mystical. The name Yudke Vavke and the name Alekim are two opposites. The name Yudke Vavke is made up of three Hebrew words. Hoya, Hoive, and Yiyah. The name Yudkevavke itself doesn't really have a translation. It's not a Hebrew word. It's made up of three different words. And the three words that it's made up of is past, present, and future. Haya, Hove, V'yiyeh. It was, it is, and it will be. And we put them all in one word, Yudkevavke. And what it represents is the part of God which is not bound by any natural and physical limitations or restrictions. It's a part of God which is supernatural which is beyond nature, which uh, we know God is not bound by time, not bound by space. He created time and space, right? But there's this part of God which still exists even once there's a world which is totally beyond the world. And the light, uh, and that, uh, when you look from that perspective, from that uh, place of God, there is no limitation. There is no restriction. Everything's just beyond nature. There's no nature. There's no restriction of nature. That's Yud Elikim. And Chassidus is the same numerical value, the same gematria, if you take the, the, the numbers, as the word hateva, which means nature. 
Elikim also shows means koyach. It's the power and strength of God to give power and strength to the world. Meaning it's the more natural part of God. Not that God is natural, but that Hashem limits Himself to be able to deal with the world in a very natural, limited, and restricted way. That's how He keeps the world in existence. He manifests Himself, He restricts Himself, contracts Himself to be able to work with limitation and restriction in the physical world. So when we say Hashem Hu Elikim, what are we doing? What we're trying to do is take that Yudke Vavke, take that supernatural part of God and make it, bring it home, bring it inside of us, make it more natural. Make the supernatural more natural to us. And when we say it seven times on Yom Kippur Bani'ila, what we're doing is, each time, when we say the first time Hashem Elikim, basically everyone has their supernatural and their natural. So when you say it once, you take the supernatural and make it your natural. Now that you made that supernatural your natural, now your supernatural is even higher. You can say it again, and then you again take your next level of supernatural make a natural. You say it seven times. By the time you say it seven times, you can imagine someone that's really experiencing it, their supernatural now is seven levels higher. Comes the end of Yom Kippur, we blow the shaifer, we sing Napoleon's march, where it comes the end. Now comes the day after Yom Kippur. The level that we're at, you can't associate with any name of God. We reached, we said Hashem Olekim seven times. By now, the place that we should be holding on, the place we should be, uh, um, the place of God that we're connecting with is a part of the place of God where there's no name. God's essence. So the day after Yom Kippur is a, is a crazy day in, 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 as such, where we call it God's Namen, God's name, Baal explains, because there's no name you can associate it with. It's beyond our names. We're immediately after Yom Kippur. We'll be connected with the highest part of God, Hashem Himself, the essence of God, but there's no name that we can associate it with. That's why you're supposed to come to Shul five minutes earlier? Yes, it's become a little earlier. It's a special day. And that's why today, like the Rabbi Rashab said, yet start from an Ersh Chuvatan. Because now we can begin focusing on working on ourselves. Because now that we're in a much higher and holier place, so close to God, we begin to realize how many things are inappropriate, are not proper, and how we need to, we need to change. So you, if you thought you were done with changing, <laughs> now you have to start changing all uh, 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 from the beginning. Showtime! <laughs> um, so we, the point is that we never rest. And it's a continuous uh, journey, continuous struggle. And if uh, we all know, if you let your guard down for a minute, it's, uh, you, can ba- you can backtrack too far. They say the line, life is like a bicycle. Right? A chocolate. Like a box of chocolates. Whichever, there's many ways. You never know what you're going to get. Okay. <laughs> life is like a bicycle that you have to continue riding up. Um, the moment you take your foot off the pedal, you move back. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is the message of today, immediately following Graham Kipper. But uh, just that, that the insight we said in the beginning, I think is very powerful and a good takeaway to realize that sometimes we need to be in a higher place to begin working on ourselves. Because only then you realize that certain things that you're doing need to be worked on. You don't even acknowledge certain areas that need work until you you're at a, at a higher place. I thought you need to be super low to realize it. When you're super low, sometimes you don't even realize that you need work. But you don't even realize what needs work. When you taste the something... When you're at the lowest point, then you realize you just need to work? Yeah, then maybe you've got the feeling that like, oh wow, something needs to change. But like, what exactly? You gotta go all the way low. No, this is why why in the the method of Chassidus, we always say that in order for a person to change, you need to taste light. You need to taste something positive. You need to taste something holy. When you get a taste of that, it helps you change. It helps it you. It sounds like to get to the light, you gotta go all the way to the dark. 
Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> you you know, whatever you want me to. Yeah, I don't, don't think we have to speak about that too much because most of us are already <laughs> somewhat in the dark. Why do we, <laughs> you have to focus more on the light. <laughs> but why don't we do that? You're right. Technically, he's right. You're authentically right. I'm not trying to. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is you may not come back. That is why we don't do that. About you is good enough for a person. Why do we try out to come from? Because you may not come from again. That's how you're going to get to the light if you don't go to the dark. He's saying you may get stuck there. <laughs> so I'm saying that's why we don't focus tell you on to the go light. to the dark. Yeah. If you're never at the dark, are you ever going to see the light? Okay. I got the